0: an old man who lived in Ireland and he wanted to spade his potato garden... ...but unfortunately because of his age it was hard work and he was unable to do it. His only son who would have helped him and did so in the past was now in Long Kesh Prison. So the old man wrote him a letter and uh, said to his son and different things... ...and then mentioned this predicament about the potato garden. Shortly he received this reply from, from his son. For heaven's sakes, dad, don't dig up that garden that's where I buried all the guns." At 4 a.m. the next morning, a dozen British soldiers showed up and dug up the entire garden without finding any guns. Confused, the old man wrote another note to his son telling him what had happened. The soldiers had visited his property and he asked him what he should do. His son's reply was simply this, Dad, now you can plant your potatoes. I'm sorry, but it's the best I could do for you under my current circumstances. You know, I believe that many of us at times forget how powerful our words can be as a source of motivation. You know, and if human words can motivate to such a degree, how much more should God's word motivate us to act? You know, the Bible teaches that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart and even to divide bone from marrow. It is also God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction and training in righteousness... ...that the man of God may be adequately equipped to do the works that God has prepared for us to do... ...before the foundation of the world. That the Word of God also results in spiritual growth. As we hear the Word of God, as we study it, as we memorize it and meditate upon it... ...as we believe what God has to say and as we act upon it and obey... The Bible says that God's words are a great source or should be of motivation. And motivation simply means to move us from one point to another. And so as we come together each week and we study the word of God, I am convinced that God wants each one of us to move from where we are today to the direction and the direction that God would have us move by hearing the word of God as he commands us and compels us to go in the direction that he'd have us go. You know with all that in mind we come to a passage of scripture that at first glance doesn't appear to have much relevancy or depth for today it's one of those things that if you've ever read through your bible and you come to a passage of scripture and you kind of go and eh, i i don't you know i don't get it not much there for me don't understand it um don't understand exactly what this means to me today how do i apply it you know we all have as we've spent time alone with the with the lord and the word of god we've all gotten to those places where we just kind of flip through that because it's like I, you know whatever But what I'm here to to tell you and encourage you is that, you know, don't believe that lie. Because if God says all scripture is profitable, all scripture is profitable. And if he says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, then every word has some relevance and some depth and truth for us today to motivate us to take action. Well, I realize at different seasons of life, the Word of God becomes alive at different times in our life, where before you go, you know, when you were single, you know, what the Word of God teaches about marriage and family, you go, eh, whatever. But then when you're married, you go, wow, there's some good stuff in here about marriage and family, you know. And and as we grow older in life, there are things that the Bible talks about as far as the different seasons of life, and as we age, it becomes more relevant than it might be at a certain point, but it's relevant all the time nonetheless. And don't ever forget, as we study the Word of God, it is not just for our own benefit, our own edification, it is also to give us instruction so that we have the answers that God wishes us to convey and to share with those who may be going through a situation or circumstance in life that frankly we're not going through but they are but God has given us his truth to share with them in their moment of need and so the word of God is always relevant don't ever buy into the lie of the devil who says you know what this has nothing to do with you just ignore it skip it go to the next section so in first Timothy chapter 5 we come to a section of scripture where Paul reminds Timothy of the importance that if you recall these pastoral epistles, that there must be order in the household of God or order in the church. And so as we look at this, we find Paul giving Timothy continued instructions as to what his responsibilities are as a pastor or shepherd of the congregation or actually the overseer, in his case, of a bunch of local churches and the pastors who were there. In addition, we also are learning that we have certain responsibilities as members of the household of God, how we should conduct ourselves so that we maintain an orderly fashion or process uh, in God's house. So in, in 1 Timothy chapter five, <clears throat> we read these words: "Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters, all in purity." "'Honor widows who are widows indeed. "'But if any widow has children or grandchildren, "'let them first learn to practice piety "'in regard to their own family "'and to make some return to their parents, "'for this is acceptable in the sight of God. "'Now she who is a widow indeed "'and who has been left alone "'has fixed her hope on God "'and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. "'But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure "'is dead even while she lives.' "...prescribe these things as well, so that they may be, be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old... "...having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge." And at the same time, they also learn to be idle... ...as they go around from house to house... ...and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies... ...talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married... ...bear children, keep house... ...give the enemy no occasion for reproach... ...for some already have turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows... ...let her assist them... ...and let not the church be burdened... ...so that it may assist those... ...who are widows indeed. If you will recall from our study in the book of Acts... ...the first problem the early church faced... ...was also a modern problem, and that was this. A group of church members... ...was neglected by the ministering staff... ...in Acts chapter 6. If you remember, there were Hellenistic Jews who were widows... ...who felt that they were being overlooked... ...in the process of receiving resources from the church. They felt neglected. They were overlooked... You know, and, and uh, throughout the 20-plus years that we've been involved in ministry, I've heard a variety of folks express a sense of being neglected by their pastor or by, st- or by the staff or whatever. I once heard a certain pastor described as this, a man who is invisible during the week and incomprehensible on Sunday. You know, that, that, that's not what we're looking for in a profile as a pastor. You know, and as we, as we look at this, you know, and the reason that that person said that is they felt neglected and there was a need that was there. You know, we must continually be sensitive to the needs of others. Not only as pastors, as elders, as leaders, but all of us as God's people must continually be sensitive to the needs of others. We must perceive needs that are not expressed verbally, but we know because we have empathy because we've been there before. The purpose of God's grace in our life, we're told according to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The reason that we receive comfort from God in our times of distress is so that you and I can share that same comfort with those who are afflicted. The reason God comforts us is so that we can comfort others with the same comfort by which God comforts us as they go through their own affliction. You know, it's not always about just us. It's about, God, how can you use the circumstances in my life How can I use the comfort that I received when I went through a difficult time like that person's going through to comfort them and give them the same comfort, God, that you have comforted me? You know, it's important that we recognize that any good shepherd, any good pastor is a shepherd indeed and that they recognize that they are to see the danger that their flock has experienced to protect that flock from the wolves that are out there and the enemies who would want to harm or steal them. Any good shepherd recognizes when their flock is hungry and should be fed and provide provision for them. Sometimes they have to be rebuked. Sometimes they must be corrected. Other times we're to be trained and taught and edified and encouraged and build up in the faith. You know, there are times to build and motivate, build people up to take action. There are other times to say you're wrong in what you're doing and we will correct you according to the word of God. You know, Know how to be right. Know when we're wrong. Know how to get right again with God and then know how to live right before him. It takes all of that. In our 20 years involved in professional sports ministry, you know, we've learned that every ministry that we've been involved in, from the NFL, for example, there's differences and there's racial compositions that are different, there's cultural and language diversity in the NFL, 70% of the athletes there are African American, they're black, and they come from a cultural background that we must be sensitive to in order to reach them for Christ. You know, Paul said, I became all things to all men so that I could win some. And yet at the same time, in essentials there is unity, in non-essentials there's liberty, in all things there's charity or love, according to Augustine. And so, you know, it's different from football to baseball, and in baseball there's a larger influx of Latino players, Hispanic, and we're doing everything that we can to cross that or bridge that gap that's there, language and cultural gap, so that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the Ducks is a whole new experience where you've got Europeans and and Canadians. And it's like I walk into rooms, you know, know, it's like going to the United Nations meeting every time I go into some of these settings. And yet at the same time, I recognize what a privilege it is for all of us who have been entrusted with the greatest treasure given to man. And that's the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ and him alone. To be able to share the reality and the truth that we are sinners separated from God in need of forgiveness on our path to hell. Condemned before God and awaiting final judgment. To be able to say, but God loves us anyway. And he sent Christ to die for our sins. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish and have everlasting life. I go into settings where people come from a variety of church or religious backgrounds, and we must be sensitive as to what those hot buttons are so that they don't become so defensive that they don't hear the gospel because they say it sounds like you're attacking my church. No, it's not about church. And so many times I'm able to share, listen, did Jesus say anything about church affiliation when he said to the thief on the cross who recognized he was a sinful man, who recognized that Jesus Christ was indeed the Savior of the world, even though he was dying upon the cross, who recognized that that death would not stop him from setting up and establishing his kingdom, that he would raise from the dead, that he would come back to life as he said that he would. He recognized that and said, you know, don't you even fear God, he said to the other man. And Jesus looked at him and said, today you you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus wasn't hung up on church denominational affiliations, but what he was very, very, very convinced of, and that is this, there is no other name given under men by which men can be saved than the Lord Jesus Christ. The simplicity of the gospel... And so as we look at this and you look around and even as we look around in this room and we see gender differences and age differences, maturity differences, you know, uh, work and experience and educational differences and economic differences, we realize that only God and his message of truth can transcend such differences. I have never once ever mistakenly believed that somehow I'm some great speaker. Because I look out at the diversity of people who are here and realize, you know what, I'm just not that sharp. I'm just not. But God is. God, whose word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. Divide bone from marrow. God knows you He knows me, and he knows what our greatest needs are. And the greatest need outside of forgiveness and salvation is Christ. His greatest need is to share with us the truth of the word of God... ...that sets us free from the bondage of sin. See, and because of all these differences... ...God gives a very detailed instruction... ...as to how we are to minister to specific groups in the church... So, in order to better understand this passage, I've broken it down into just four main points and 37,000 subpoints, <clears throat> And I rounded it down to the 37,000. So, some laugh and others go, he's serious. <clears throat> Number one, in verses 1 and 2, we find a general exhortation. It's kind of thrown out to, to all that applies to everyone... And he says in verses 1 and 2, you know, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters, all in purity. In these opening two verses, Paul admonishes Timothy to minister to the various kinds of people in the church and not show partiality, as he says in verse 21, maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in spirit of partiality. You know, Timothy, as we know, was a young man, and there's a tendency, and one of the things that concerns me about, you know, when we break up into, you know, we call Gen X churches and, you know, this kind of service and that kind of service, and we're trying to reach certain people, I understand that, and in certain degrees I agree with that, because, you know, there's a message that's there, uh, and it needs, the message is the same, God's truth is the same, it doesn't change, but to try to reach people is what I've already mentioned, we become all things to, you know, that we may win some for Christ. But at the same time, one of the things that we've got to be careful of as as a church body is that we want the diversity because it's through the diversity that God teaches us his greatest lessons. You know, there's nothing worse than being with a group of all young married people going through the same problem, and, nobody, and everybody's sitting there going, yeah, I'm going through that. Oh, so am I. Are you? Yeah, I am too. Is your husband a jerk and selfish like mine? Yes, he is. And all of them are going, yeah, we're all like that. It's like, oh, that's great, but what can we do about it? What, what, you know, what, what, what's there for us? How do we get through this? You know, I love it. I spoke at a memorial service this past week, and the, and the gentleman who, who had died uh, would have been 80 years old in uh, November, but he and his wife had been married for 56 years. And one of the guys who came up to speak at the eulogy said, you know what, man, you know, it's like when Joaquin, you know, he, he and his wife, 56 years, and we would go aside and we would ask him, and say, Joaquin, I mean, how in the world, 56 years, do you keep Anna, his wife, how do you keep her so happy? And she looked at him and said, she's happy? I didn't know she was happy. And I went, that's beautiful. And this young guy was going, that's beautiful. You're still married after 56 years and you can't keep your wife happy either. I think that was a message. I'm not sure. But, but, but I was encouraged. For you, my wife is happy. But, but there's that sense where, you know, that diversity is there. And so Timothy, you know, he was warning Timothy, don't be afraid to minister to all groups of people. Because, you know, you may feel inadequate. You may feel you don't even know what to say or do. But you know what? If you just share my word with them, I know what they need. I know what they need. Just point them back to the truth. I have a friend who was uh, in our, involved in our Rams ministry. He played for the Rams for a number of years, and, and uh, the Lord uh, led him to plant a church in, at South of Atlanta and uh, we, we've just had a, we've had a great relationship through the years, and he called me and he said, Chuck, he goes it was his first first Sunday last week of, the, of this new church and he, and he called me and he had like a list of like twenty questions that people came up to him and asked afterwards you know and he's feeling like ah, you know and uh, you know and it was great is in our time of talking and, and going through it and, and just opening the Bible and saying, Hey this is what God has to say about that this is what God has to say about that. look at this passage, study these verses, look at that you know there, there's a free Freedom in knowing that I don't feel a burden in sharing with someone, gee, what what should I tell someone? Well, you know what? Tell them what God would tell them. Just go and tell them the truth. Open up the Word of God, show them the passages, explain it to them, and tell them that. You know, and that's as simple as it gets because this isn't about you know what what I think or he thinks or anybody thinks. This is about what God says. And so he's telling Timothy, don't sweat it, you know. You're gonna be involved with people who, frankly, What he's trying to get across to him is this. Look, there's there's a way to respond to people. He's saying, instead of sharply rebuking, I want you to appeal them. Speaking of older men. He said, don't sharply rebuke an older man. The word sharply rebuke means, actually, there's a contrast here. He's saying that sharply rebuke means to come to blows with somebody, either verbally or physically. He's saying, don't call out an older guy, and don't try to draw a line, and don't come to blows with them, and don't do that. You know, the Bible says a gentle answer turns away wrath. What he's saying is that instead of, you know, that I got to be right, and this guy's got to be right, and it's win-lose, win, and there's always win-loses in life. You know, especially for men. We're so competitive. Somebody's got to win. Somebody's got to lose. You know, because otherwise, you know, it's like why play a baseball game if, if no one can win or lose? It's like a tie? What is, what is this? A tie? Okay, that was good. I'm done. Are you guys done? Yeah, that was fun. Let's go home. What? A tie? IT'S NOT SOCCER, IT'S AN AMERICAN SPORT, SOMEONE GOTTA WIN, SOMEONE GOTTA LOSE, IT VIOLATES EVERYTHING I'VE LEARNED MY WHOLE LIFE, I STILL DON'T KNOW HOW TO HANDLE THIS, BUT HE'S SAYING IN THIS PARTICULAR CASE DO NOT SHARPLY REBUKE BUT APPEAL TO THEM, APPEAL SHOW RESPECT AN OLDER PERSON AS A FATHER. But at the same time, he's not saying back down from confronting older people when they're wrong before God with the truth of God's word. And also, he's saying to older people, listen up. Just because somebody's younger than you doesn't mean you're always right and they're, they're wrong. As if somehow or another... Because, see, you know, I, I've shared many times in different occasions when I spoke that there's basically three, times, three seasons of life... You know, and, and, and even though they can overlap, there, there's, the, there's the, um, you know, the danger for young people of the, the sin of lust and, and, and that, all that goes along with that. For middle-aged people, there's the sin of possessions, that possessions crowd out our relationship with God. You know, we finally pay the bills and get the kids behind us and all those obligations. And all of a sudden, you get discretionary income and you can start buying toys and doing things. And it crowds out our walk with the Lord. And the third is the sin of pride, older people who feel like they're always right. You know, what do you have to offer me? I've lived 50-some years. I've been married 56 years. I know more about marriage than you'll ever know. You know, have you ever heard somebody say, I'll know more in a thimble, you know, in whatever it is, you know, "in, in the tip of my thumb than you'll ever know throughout your life. You know, just that pride that goes along with that. And what he's saying is we all, God's people, regardless of the season of life, need to be open and teachable to God's truth and the Spirit of God. I told you about the guy who was interviewed that turned 100 years old. The Today Show, they have that thing about 100 or whatever. The old oh, guy, yeah, that was interviewed. He said, well, you know, and the and the interviewer said, what's the what's the greatest joy of being 100 years old? He says, and the old man thought for a second. He said, you know what? No peer pressure. So, <laughs> you know, you freed up by then, you know, but sharply rebu- rebuke versus appeal to them. Now, he goes on and he talks about it also to, uh, to younger men as brothers. Have respect for all of God's children. Have respect and never look down upon anyone. Say, Timothy, just because you're the pastor of this church doesn't make you any better than anyone else because all of us, it's a, it's a level playing field. We've all been saved by grace through faith. There's only one God, one Savior. We're not him. And everybody else, we're all equal when it comes to understanding where we are in our relationship to God and our relationship to one another. It doesn't preclude the fact that there's authority. It doesn't preclude the fact that there is structure in the church of God. It doesn't preclude the fact there's structure in the home or in the church or in government and institutions. None of that. It's just saying that we should all treat one another with respect. There's no one better than others in the kingdom of God. And all of us should be in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of the church and as the author of the word of God. Now, he says, for older women, treat them as mothers. Treat them with respect and with dignity. And also with younger women with the same type of respect, but in this case, in all purity. You know, never use that position of authority God has given you for the purpose of manipulating a younger person and then take advantage of them sexually. That's all the word purity has to deal with, sexual immorality. So he's saying that, you know, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, emphasizing respect and purity. There's a warning of the constant danger of immorality and wrongdoing. And God, you know, God's word is... is ...is living, like I said, and active in all situations and all cases. So never forget, all believers are equal under God. All are God's children. All deserve mutual respect. Now, having laid this foundation, what he does is... ...he has a very specific example in, uh, of a group... ...and how this group should be ministered to within the body of Christ. And the group that he's talking about in verses 3 through 10... ...he says, honor widows who are widows indeed... So, God's word specifically says, for those women who do not have husbands any longer, who have died, he says that we're to respect them and honor them as widows, widows indeed. So, as we look at these five, uh, these five uh, areas that he's talking about, he's saying to respect or honor widows who are widows indeed. Those who are, what he's saying, those who are really widows in God's definition, which is kind of fascinating. ...because God has a very specific definition of the widows... ...that we are to honor as widows indeed. In this passage, he identifies a very specific group of widows. Uh, These are widows who are 60 years of age and older... ...who are alone with no one to take care of them. The word honor means to respect. The word honor means to convey something in a material sense. For example, many times when I'm asked to speak somewhere... uh, ...someone will call and say what's your standard, you know, what's your standard fee, or what's a typical honorarium? Say, you know, I, I never, I've never set one, never will, never have, and don't intend to, and that is, you know what, I, I've never set a price to do anything. Now, when I go and speak, someone, they may, the group that invited me, may give me an honorarium, and the word honorarium means to convey upon someone materially because they have placed a value in the service that they've just provided, So, you know, they'll take into consideration, look, time away from your family, travel time, expense to get here, whatever it is. And we value your teaching us the word of God. And so, here's an honorarium. So, the word honor, honorarium, means conveying to another person something materially or tangibly because you place a value on their services. So, he's saying that we are to honor or place value on these widows who are widows indeed by God's definition... So the point is the church is to meet the the needs of those women or widows who qualify according to God's standards. We're to honor them, we're to value them. It's important to point out from the beginning of its ministry the church always had a concern for believing widows. That's what we talked about in Acts chapter 6. Also God's special care for widows is a recurring theme throughout scripture. In fact, Jesus emphasized his concern for widows... ...when he came into the city of Nain... ...and the the widow of Nain, her son, only son, had died... ...and Jesus rose him from the dead... ...having compassion upon the mother... ...because the mother no longer had anyone... ...to meet her earthly needs. Jesus moved by compassion... We're told, raised this widow, this woman's son from the dead, so that he can continue to provide for her in the way that she needed to have provisions made. What a beautiful story that is. Think about Jesus, the example that he gave us on the cross. On the cross, he looked down at John and he said to John, his disciple, man, behold your mother, speaking of his mother Mary, who was in a de- there at the site, said, man, you know, behold your mother, woman, behold your son one of the last earthly acts Jesus did prior to the resurrection was to make sure and ensure that his mother, Mary, was taken care of as the oldest son. It was his responsibility to do so. And it's interesting that he chose John and not any of his brothers because at that point we recognize that they still didn't believe that Jesus was indeed the Savior of the world. So we see a burden throughout Scripture that God has for those who cannot care for themselves. You know, what's fascinating too is that As we do these things for others, it is a genuine reflection or barometer of the God that we say that we love. We know whether we really love God or not by being obedient to his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. You know, he also said, when he was talking to a group of people, he said, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you naked? When did we see you in prison? And Jesus said, you know, when you did these things to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. Now, negatively, he also said this to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul had never met Jesus. But Jesus was identifying with the persecution of his people through Saul... ...and what was taking place as far as that was concerned. And God identified himself as being persecuted... ...by the actions of Saul and those who were persecuting those who loved Jesus Christ... So God identifies with his people in a positive or negative way. He avenges those whom we do not do what we should. And he also blesses us as we do what is right before God. This is very relevant to each one of us. There's a direct correlation between how our treatment of, those, of these folks reflect our true love for God. Now what's interesting is this. The church must be careful not to waste its resources on people who are really not in need. Whether we like to admit it or not, there are individuals and entire families that milk local churches while they themselves refuse to work or mismanage the resources that God has entrusted to them. And this is really interesting. I always, I always kind of go, when I hear Christians say we shouldn't judge each other, I just look and go, Are you serious? Are you serious? We shouldn't judge one another hypocritically, and that's the only thing you'll find about not judging one another. You've got a big old plank in your eye. You can't judge the speck in someone else's. But Jesus said, remove the plank so that you can clearly see. We are to judge according to the standards of the word of God. Timothy's saying, hey, judge your local... You know, he's telling the congregation, judge those pastors who have oversight of you according to the qualifications of the word of God. If they're not lining up the scripture, you better hold them accountable or else call them out on the carpet because they'll be held accountable to those qualifications. And pastors are to judge his congregation by the same token that, you know what, if you're not living according to the standard of God, we're going to, you know, correct, rebuke, train. Do it after we have to do it to get you lined back up to the word of God. Motivate you. Move from where you are to where God wants you to be. We are constantly judging one another. And he's saying to the church, local church, listen, you're not to help everybody, but you are to judge according to the standards that God has laid out, those who I want you to help and those who I don't want you to help, but we are continually in a process of judging one another according to God's standards. There's a responsibility, and here's what he says. These are people that shouldn't be helped by the church they are people who have noticed the big butt there I told you I'm gonna do a series sometime the big butts of the Bible that's gonna be awesome I'd love to see it on a big marquee out in front of a church somewhere the big butts of the Bible man you know what people would be just driving on in going yeah you know I can add some names to that list you know but but he says in in verse 4 but it's a contrast but if any widow has children or grandchildren let them first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make sure, and make some return to their parents. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. Notice that. He's saying that the responsibility first falls on family. You know, the widow of Nain, her son, now was raised from the dead, is alive again. Would continue on and take the responsibility that was rightfully his. He was to take care of his mother. And so the responsibility is very clear. And that's this. The Christian faith is first to be lived out at home. How hypocritical it is and wrong to treat others with more respect than we do those in our own family. How sad it is to me to see men who treat women outside their family with more respect than their own wife. And how sad it is to see parents treat other people's children with more respect than they treat their own children. How hypocritical and how wrong that is. Our children... ...that God has entrusted to us are His children. And they deserve respect as children of God. Our wives are fellow heirs of the gospel. They are to be treated as sisters in Christ... ...in addition to our wives... ...and to be held in high respect and high regard. And the same is true of women with their husbands... How hypocritical it is for women to treat their husbands with disregard or disrespect while respecting other men. And I recognize and I realize that because we spend so much time together that people see things in our lives as couples and as families. You know, we see things that other people don't see. But that doesn't change the truth of God's word. Respect one another with dignity as fellow heirs of the kingdom of God. Practice piety. Practice piety. We will never be effective reaching others for Christ if we can't start out in our own home practicing the principles of the Christian faith in our own homes. Practice piety at home. First responsibility is family. And he says, and to make some return to their parents for this is acceptable in the sight of God. God is saying to every child and every grandchild, you know what, take care of your parents and your grandchildren, don't ever forget what they've done for you. Even if they weren't the greatest parents in the world, even if they weren't the greatest grandparents in the world, nonetheless, it is God's will and a good and acceptable in the sight of God that we show compassion on those who frankly may not have shown us any whatsoever, but you know what, that's still our responsibility before God. Now the biblical balance is this, ...as parents, as grandparents... ...you know, the Bible commends grandparents... ...who leave a, an inheritance for their children. And what I'm going to say right now... ...may, you know, seem, well, gee, that makes perfect sense... ...but not many times are we told these things... ...and that's this. You know what? Hey, listen, as a parent or a grandparent... ...if you want your kids to take care of you... ...then you know what? Treat them with respect and dignity... ...and be generous to them... ...and it'll return to you. Some of the most selfish, self-centered children I've ever met are that way because, you know what, they had the most selfish, self-centered parents and grandparents that you'll ever see. And that's why it produces generations of people who live for themselves. There's a point in time where we must consider others as more important than ourselves, that we must meet the needs of others around us. It's not always about us. In fact, let me just get something straight. It's never about us. It is always about others first. And the reason many old people grow up and no one takes care of them is because that is a consequence and a result of the self-centered, selfish life that they've lived all their life. But God's love transcends that because God's love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. God's love is still gracious to those who maybe weren't gracious to us. But I will say this to those who are here. You can't live a self-centered life and spend every dime that God ever gave you on yourself and then expect to have people rally around you in your time of need and step up and be counted for when you haven't done anything for anyone else. That's just life. It's not God's word because God's believers aren't held account- are held accountable to his truth. But you know what? We need to notice carefully that the first responsibility starts home. Third, he says that there should be a relationship that's there. And there's a relationship of the woman who we are to help in verses 5 and 6. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. Notice, those who are left alone, she has no one else here on earth who can take care of her. Then God's people should step up and take care of that woman if she has confidence and trust in God. She continues to trust in God. The widow the church should care for has manifested confidence in God throughout her life. She has also made a commitment to ministry. She's trusting Him in life no matter what her physical uh, condition or material substance is. And she continues in a ministry of prayer. She's a godly woman. We should never, 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 never not meet the needs of godly women who cannot meet their own needs. She also recognizes and she has control over physical desires. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure, she is dead even if she lives. Talking about women who are of a certain age, that you know what, they just live to please themselves. You know what God says to the church? Don't support them. Don't support them. Don't encourage that behavior. Don't support them whatsoever. We support those who are in control of those desires and live a life in a, in a way that's pleasing to God. You know, what's interesting is that even older people, as we look at this passage, are subject to sexual immorality. You know, one of the biggest problems in in assistant living, we do a lot of work in assistant assistant living, in in nursing homes and things like that, is, is sexual immorality. I mean, every time I'm in one of those places, some naked guy's running down the hallway. And he's just pretending to be senile. Sometimes he might be, but, you know... There's the reality of that. You know, God holds the church accountable to use His resources as He instructs. Did you hear that? God holds the church accountable to use His resources as He instructs. And sometimes that means saying no to people. Sorry, you don't meet God's qualifications of those we are to help. Now notice the result of those who do not, family members who do not meet the needs of those in their family he says in verse 7, prescribe these things as well. Remember the word prescribe is the same word we get from a physician who makes a prescription. The prescription is an order from a doctor to a pharmacy to give these people what I tell you to give. It's not an option. And the prescription also includes directions to the patient as to how to take that medicine. It's not an option either. Take three times a day, take once a day, take you know every 12 hours, whatever it is. You do as you're told. And what Timothy is being told by Paul and all of us as we look at the word of God is... This is an option. You do what God tells you to do. I must do what God tells me to do. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for those of this household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Can you imagine that? There are times in the life of believers that we're worse than unbelievers and you know why that is? Even an unbeliever knows he has a responsibility to take care of his mom if she's alone. Even an unbeliever knows that. How much more so should a believer know that? How much more so should God's people know that who have the Spirit of God living within them, convicting of us sin, righteousness, and judgment, teaching us all God's truth? How much more so should you know the truth because God's Word is truth. He's telling us what to do. Even unbelievers know it, and sometimes believers know the truth, and we refuse to be obedient, and at those times God says, you are worse than an unbeliever. Because you know the truth and you refuse to believe. Man, that's a heavy rebuke. We should know better. The requirements of those to help. Number one, she's got to be 60 years of age or older. Let a widow be put on the list. Now notice that, a list. I like that. They actually had a list to keep track of people so people didn't fall through the cracks. You know, put them on the list. These are people we should help. Here's a list right there. Write it down so we don't lose track of anybody. You know, the biggest complaint people have about church is, you know, you know I just feel like nobody cares about me. I'm going through this or that or the other thing and nobody knows anything about it. Now, I would share when you get in a large group like this or a large setting, that's why it's important to get plugged into small Bible study groups or smaller groups or accountability groups, because you know what? I don't know you. You don't know me. You don't know what's going on unless I share with you. I don't know what's going on with you unless you come to me and tell me. So, you know what? The only way we know that is if we're involved in smaller groups who are accountable to one another, and then that word or message can be disseminated so God can move in the hearts of people to step up and do something about it. But, you know, there's nothing worse than hearing somebody say, you know, that church is unloving or that church didn't care about me, when nobody knows who who you are because you're not involved in anything. How in the world are supposed to have people help you out if nobody knows who you are? Get plugged in. Get involved. There's a whole bunch of ministry around this church to get involved in. Get involved in a smaller group so people know who you are, so you can use the gift that God's given you for the equipping the saints for the work of ministry, so you can contribute and others can contribute to you, and that's the way the body's supposed to, to function and cooperate with one another. Man, get involved. and Then we'll all know what's going on. But specifically, he's talking about widows who are over 60, Now, it's important to recognize that a woman over 60 then, ladies, was a lot older than you people are today. If you're over 60, you're a lot younger than these people were because, man, they lived a harder life. And the reason that he says over 60 is because when you look at verse 14 talking about, I want younger women to get married and bear bear children, you know, not many of you are thinking, hey, that's a good idea. (laughs) So, you know, it's got to be at least over 60. You know, have to have been in your marriage a woman who was committed to her husband just as men should be committed to their wife. And there's there's no hypocrisy in God's sight. A man must be a one-woman man, and a woman must be a one-man man man, as far as God is concerned in order to qualify for help in that area. And then she has to demonstrate ministry, having a reputation for good works. Man, she's a godly woman. Everyone knows, man, she has a reputation. If she's brought up children, you know, she has children, she's a godly woman, she's done good work, shown hospitality to the strangers, which which correlates to washing the saints' feet, meaning welcoming them then, washing their feet, you know, in that day everything was dirt and sandals, and when you walked in someone's house, the first thing that a host would do, or hostess, would be to greet them at the front door and wash their feet, uh, to, to, you know, to welcome them, not only so they didn't get dirt on the carpet, uh, but so that... Uh, some of you laughed. Others are going, dirt on the carpet. What's the big deal? They didn't have carpet. Okay. Um, you know, let's go pay attention. I know you're lo- I'm losing it. Here we go. Alright, and the last thing is, as we look at this, this, there's a special exception clause and that's this. You know what? There are people we're not supposed to help. And that's broken out for us right here. Special sep- exception. We're to help those who qualify according to God. There's a special exception. Not to help those who don't. And we read that. But, notice that contrast again. But refuse 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 to put younger widows on the list anybody under 60 don't qualify don't put them on the list of people they're supposed to be helped by the church for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of christ they want to get married incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge say what is he talking about well, the fact is, younger women, and think about it, in that day, you know, men died for a variety of reasons, and they died very young. They died because of war, they died because of conflict, they died because of, uh, of uh, diseases and, and other illnesses. They died for a variety of reasons, and many women were young widows And what Paul is saying is to separate those older ones who have lived the godly life for a number of years and have demonstrated their godliness from those who are younger who lost their husbands at a younger age. He's saying don't support them because here's what will happen. If the church supports widows who are young and they still have a desire to be married, they still have sexual urges, they still want to have companionship, to be put on the list they had to make a deal with the church saying if you support me I will commit my life to serving Christ in the church and yet they're struggling with these desires over here. They were putting them in a position to fail. Listen, folks, it is not always wise to give people resources that will ultimately lead them away from Christ and their love for the Lord. It is not wise. We talk about things like enablement and all this kind of, you know, you know, whatever. But, but I don't want to go there. But, but but the bottom line is this. What God is saying is it's not always wise to give money to people because giving that money to them may cause them to walk away from their love for Christ. It may cause them to continue in habits or lifestyle that's not pleasing to God. You know, you don't give people with a drug addiction or alcohol abuse or or other areas of life. You don't give people who are lazy money because it's a symptom of a root problem. The root problem is laziness. And you enable them to continue to live a life that is basically destructive to their own self and to those around them. It is godly wisdom to say, is this person a person, God, you want me to meet the need in their life versus you're doing this in their life to get them to change their behavior and motivate them. You know, if you don't work, you don't eat. If you get hungry enough, you may think it's time to get out of bed and go to work. Duh. But it's biblical. It's God's truth. And so he's saying, don't put these widows in a position where they're going to compromise their faith in Christ because they still have sexual desires. And read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You know, and that's what it's talking about. Paul said, I wish that you would remain as I am at this point in my life, single, so you can be totally devoted to the Lord. But if you have passion or desire sexually, it is better to marry than to burn with such lust or passion. He's saying, hey, listen, you know what? Do what's right before God. You know, and we're not going to pay you to not do the right thing that would be stupid and it's also it destroys the testimony of the local church. You know that lady's being supported by that church and here she is out there doing things that are, you know, against, you know, Christian principles. What's what's wrong with those people? That doesn't make any sense and it doesn't and that's why they don't qualify. The key is these unrestrained desires or uncontrolled time. Here's another thing. You know what? How many people have you ever seen that when you have idle time, you see a whole bunch of folks getting in a lot of trouble? There's nothing to do. I worked with a guy who, you know, I basically ran the business. He made a tremendous amount of money. He didn't have to show up, didn't have to work. He was a young guy. He was married. His wife was pregnant, had three other kids. And you know what? The guy was a dirt ball. He just was a dirt ball. I mean, he cheated on his wife on a continual basis. He used the money that he had. He got involved in cocaine, got involved in sexual immorality, got involved in a destructive lifestyle because he had way too much free time on his hand and a whole bunch of resources given to him. It's a deadly combination. A whole bunch of free time and resources leads to nothing but ungodliness and immorality for those who aren't focused on doing what is right before Christ. An idle mind is the devil's workshop. Second opinion, chapter 2, verse 7. All right, so we look at all of these things, and we see a final explanation of all of this. He says, therefore, in verse 14, I want, he goes, I want widows, he says, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Hey, every young mom here, I want to hear an amen for this, but I'll guarantee you this, every young mom who has children and is a homemaker and busy at home and has their hands filled with their kids. How many of you have a lot of free time left over to go ahead and get yourself in trouble? <laughs> huh? Not much free time there, huh? No, and you know what? That's because that's God's, that's God's plan. He's ordained that. It's like, hey, that's the you know, institution. Raise up a godly generation who will grow up to understand their sinfulness, to repent from sin, turn to Christ, trust in Him as their Savior, a godly generation. Train up your children in the ways to go so that when they're old, they won't depart from it. I guarantee you that when you've got your hands full at home, you're not thinking about getting in any kind of trouble other than that. It's only as, you know, those responsibilities get behind us. It breaks my heart to see men and women whose marriage fall apart after 20, 25 years of of raising, rearing their children together. And then all of a sudden they've got idle time, they've got extra resources, and one thing leads to another and someone's involved in sexual immorality and then a marriage after 20, 25, 30 years is now flushed down the toilet. Because why? Because we have given the enemy a base of operation. He says, don't let the enemy, give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Don't let the enemy set up camp in your house. Don't let him in, not even a smidgen. Don't open your door just a crack. Because when he comes in, he will set up a base of operation and he is hell-bent on destroying you as a child of God. The final explanation is a very simple one. He brings it around full circle in verse 16. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, let her assist them and let not the church be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. The full final explanation that comes around very simply is this. For those who meet the qualifications, for those who are older women over 60, who are godly women and have demonstrated their whole life, who have no one in their own family that could take care of them, the church should step up and assist them and help them. If there's no man in the family to do it, and there are women left in the family, then women should step up and do it. And that's why it says, "As any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, let her assist them, and let not the church be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. The bottom line is this. The Word of God says very simply that we are to assist those who are qualified according to the Word of God to be helped by God's people. Deuteronomy 14:29. We'll close with this says the alien, the orphan and the widow are in your town. They shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hand which you do. On the other hand, failing to do so brings God's judgment. For cursed is he who distorts the justice due an alien, orphan and widow. This is true and undefiled religion. Religion is just the outward expression of that which is in our hearts that we help and aid those widows and orphans and those who cannot help themselves so that they see the love of God demonstrated through the life and lives of his people. God blesses those who obey him. God curses those who do not. And continually I make this statement and will continue to make it, and that is this. Choose wisely. For one brings blessing and one brings God's curse. And I don't know about you, I would rather be blessed than cursed. Assist them. Motivate us to do that which God wants us to do. Father, thank you for your word and the truth of it. We thank you for our time of worship and praising you through songs and the words and the meditations of our heart. We thank you for worshiping you through the hearing of your word and and the actions that will result in a way that is pleasing to you as we obey the command that you've laid upon our hearts. God, each one of us are at a different season of life, and you know exactly where you are, exactly where we are, and and what we should do. There are some who are here that are younger that this is so far removed from them, they don't quite understand it. There are those who are here that are older and have older parents and grandparents, and this hits home very dearly. God, help us to demonstrate the love of God that's found in Christ, and that we we don't consider or take into account a wrong that's been suffered that through the process of reaching out to those who qualify according to your uh, definition, that we help those whom you want us to help. For God, this really is a matter of stewardship. You've entrusted your resources to us to be distributed to others as you dictate. And so, God, we need to confess sin when we're giving to those who don't qualify because we're certainly not giving in your name. We need to confess sin when we give to those, and that giving is just destroying them spiritually spiritually and continuing to keep them on a path that is far from you when you're trying to step in and discipline them and repu- reprove them, rebuke them, and maybe to break them and humble them so that they'll turn from sin and turn to faith in Christ. God, help us to see how dangerous it is, how oftentimes it's easier to write a check than to confront people about the error of sin in their life. So God, help us to become more generous where we're selfish and, and, and more, quote, uh, selfish where we're too generous. And and in everything, may we seek your wisdom and discernment as to what you would have us do in this life so that we bring glory and praise to your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.